السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ولا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners Once again we gather for the monthly tafsir of the Holy Quran Having started from the end of the Quran and completed a number of surahs already we find ourselves with the 102nd surah of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Takathur. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-Hakum, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, Al-Hakum Al-Takathur. One-upmanship has distracted you. Hatta zurtum al-maqabir, until you visit the, until you will visit the graves. Nay, soon you shall come to know. Then nay, then again, nay, you shall soon come to know. Nay, if only you knew with the knowledge of certainty, you will surely see the fire. ثُمَّ لَتَرْوُنَّهَا عَيْنَ الْيَقِينَ Then again, then you will most assuredly see it with the sight of certainty. ثُمَّ لَتُسَلُنَّ يَوْمَئِذٍ عَنِ النَّعِينَ Then, indeed, most assuredly, you will be questioned about the blessings. That's a very simple translation of the surah. And inshallah we'll understand the words, individual verses and the words better as we go through the surah. Again, this is a Makkan surah. It's a very short surah of the Qur'an towards the end of the book. One which most people are familiar with and have already memorized and recite in Salah, both individually and in congregation. We hear the recitation of the Surah quite frequently also. It's a very early Makkan Surah, and as, can, as is evident from the translation, the core message and the main theme of the Surah is as follows. Allah reminds the listeners that you have a purpose for your existence and your love for wealth 
for material possessions, for name and fame, through children and wealth and positions. All of this has made you heedless, neglectful of your ultimate goal and destiny and has distracted you from your true purpose. And it seems as though you will never realise. And you will only come to a true realisation when your life ends and you will enter the graves. But And Allah warns the listeners that you will come to realise. You will come to realise. And then Allah says, if only you knew the truth, you wouldn't remain obsessed and indulged in these pursuits and in this mutual rivalry. And when you will return to your Lord, on the day of reckoning, you will come to see the fire. You will most definitely see the fire. And it will not just be by way of third party news. You will behold the fire with your own eyes and you will experience it. Even if it means for the believers just simply passing through it. So it won't just be knowledge, it won't just be sight, it will actually be a personal experience. And on the day of reckoning, you will most, most assuredly be questioned about the blessings that you've enjoyed in the world. That's just a general summary of the contents of the surah. Now if we look at the individual words and verses, inshallah we'll gain a better understanding the name of the surah has been taken from the very first verse. It's called Surah Al-Takathur, from the words Al-Hakum Al-Takathur. And I hesitated when I translated the word, I used the word one-upmanship. But that's just one possible variant of the, not a variant, but one possible rendering of the word Takathur into English. Takathur comes from the word it's related to the word kathir, which means much, a lot. And takathur here means increasing something in competition with another person. So a person seeks to increase his, his or her wealth, name, fame, authority, power, even children. Appearance, family. It could be anything that a person tries to improve or increase and enhance. But the sole purpose of improving, enhancing, or increasing this thing is actually to compete with someone else, to outdo another person, to rival them, to vie with them. And therefore, any enhancement or any increase which is done with a view to competing with someone else, this is known as takathur. Mutual increasing or increasing simply out of rivalry. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-Hakum takathur Takathur 
has distracted you, has made you heedless and neglectful. So the name of the surah has been taken from the first word, from the first verse, Surah Al-Hakum Al-Takathur, and that's why the whole surah has been named Takathur. Now, what are the main things that a person rivals another in? Mainly it's wealth, position, family, fame, children, etc. And the scholars have always spoken about two things when it comes to rivalry. Wealth and children. Wealth and children. And that's attested to by a verse of the Qur'an in Surah Al-Munafiqoon in which Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la tulhikum amwalukum wa la awladukum an dhikrillah. O believers, do not let your wealth and your children distract you from the remembrance of Allah. In other verses, إِنَّمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ fitna. Verily, your wealth and your children are only a trial. So even in the Qur'an, in various places, Allah mentions two things in conjunction, wealth and children. And the reason for this is that people, we, we treat children as possessions. And just as we treat our other possessions of money, of riches, of homes, of cars, how do we treat them? We use these things, not just for practical purposes, but also as a means to display our worth, our value, our wealth. To gain a rank above others, to jockey for position, to show our superiority to others. And these items, these possessions are a means of us gaining influence, power and fame and a position in rivalry above others. A person just doesn't use a car for practical purposes. Otherwise, why aren't we all driving Ladas or Skodas or the cheapest four-wheel car available? Why isn't there a bog-standard car for everybody to drive? There isn't. So the car isn't just used for practical purposes. It's also used as a means to display one's position, to flaunt one's wealth. To enhance one's image, one's image and appearance. Same with clothes. Same with practical items such as a watch. Even with accommodation, we don't just have a simple shelter and a simple roof over our heads. The greater, the grander the home, the more palatial the mansion, they enhance the image and the prestige and the position. So we use our material possessions not just for practical purposes, but to boost our image, to enhance our worth, our value, our position, our influence. And whether we accept it or not, deep down, another human weakness is that parents use their children 
as possessions. And children are often used to advance the parents' own position. So just as material possessions display a person's worth, children are used to display a person's worth. Just as material possessions aren't just simply used for practical purposes, but also to boost one's image, to flaunt one's wealth, to enhance one's position, to gain influence over others, to gain prestige. Children are used to gain prestige. And therefore, parents use their children as possessions, as ornaments on the mantelpiece. And this is why in the Qur'an, again and again, the two things are mentioned in conjunction, in pairs, partlet, children and wealth. And in fact, Allah mentions wealth first and then children. Wealth, children, wealth and children. Your wealth and your children, your riches and your children are but a test and a trial. لا تلهكم أموالكم ولا أولادكم عن ذكر الله. Do not let your your riches and your children distract you from the remembrance of Allah. And so here again, when it says الهاكم التكاثر, rivalry has distracted you. Rivalry in what? It means rivalry in everything. But the two prime things in which the ulama from the time of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, have always pointed out, is rivalry in wealth and in children. And not just the number of children. In this day and age, the number of children is no longer something which is used to enhance one's prestige. In fact, it's almost become a thing of embarrassment and shame. And the ideal family is a 2.4 family. But traditionally, and this is mentioned in the Qur'an as well, it's referenced, it's alluded to. Traditionally throughout the world, in all societies, the number of children was a goal in itself. To have many children, as many children as possible, was a goal in itself. Because again, this enhanced the person's position and power, their influence. It gave them security, both financial and personal security. So, although children are no longer thought of in numbers as being something through which a person can enhance their worth and boost their image... If it's not the quantity, it's at least the quality. How do the children grow up? What do they grow up to become? A children's career, a child's career, a child's education, a child's qualifications, a child's achievements are themselves thought of being a vehicle to advance the parent's worth and position. And this is why parents strive not only to earn wealth for themselves but also for their children to ensure that their children get the best in life now before i continue isn't that a basic human need isn't earning one's livelihood 
to provide for oneself and one's dependents, one's family, looking after one's children, to feed oneself, to clothe oneself and one's family, to provide shelter and accommodation for oneself and one's family. Aren't these basic human necessities? And in fact, aren't these things basic religious obligations also? Of course they are. But remember, in the Qur'an, and in the words of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we are taught moderation. Moderation in everything. To remain balanced and moderate, and within limits, within reason, in everything. And that means in the pursuit of wealth also. That means when it comes to children also. So, in our discussion today, let's not, let's not think that the Qur'an and the Hadith, the words of the Messenger wasallam, discourage any form of responsibility towards oneself, one's family, one's dependents and one's children. No, far from it. What the Qur'an condemns, what the Messenger wasallam, has condemned is immoderation, is a lack of balance, a lack of reason, a lack of moderation in these things. What the Qur'an and the Hadith condemn is an excess in these things. And this is why Allah says, When you reach the stage whereby earning a livelihood no longer remains a necessity, but is done for other reasons, namely mutual rivalry. When your children no longer remain just children, as children should be, but they become an item and a possession for you, and a vehicle to advance your own self, then this is condemned by Allah. And most importantly, if your children, your wealth, and your pursuits for other things in life, distract you from your main purpose, and from the remembrance of Allah, then that is destructive. And that's what the surah speaks about. And before I continue, I'd just like to mention that in order to understand the surah, we have to remember that Allah has created us for a purpose. The world did not come into being at random, or in jest, or in futility. There is an order and a design to everything, and there's a purpose and a wisdom behind it. Allah says in the Qur'an, addressing the creation, أَفَحَسِبْتُمْ أَنَّمَا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ عَبَثًا وَأَنَّكُمْ إِلِيْنَا لَا What, so what, do you think? That we have created you in futility. And that you will not be returned to us. In another verse, Allah says, إِنَّ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافِ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ لَآيَاتٍ لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِهِمْ وَيَتْفَكَّرُونَ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ رَبَّنَا مَا خَلَقْتَ هَذَا بَاطِلًا Allah say, the Qur'an says that there are those who remember Allah. The verse begins with the words, Indeed, in the creation of the heavens and the earth. And in the alternating of the night and day, surely there are signs for those who possess intelligence. Those 
who remember Allah while standing, while seated, and whilst lying on their sides, and who reflect and ponder over the creation of the heavens and the earth, exclaiming, رَبَّنَا مَا خَلَقْتَ هَذَا بَاطِلَا O our Lord, you have not created all of this in falsehood. In the creation of the heavens and the earth, in the alternating of the night and day, in the passage of time, in the whole universe, there is a wisdom and a purpose. In our creation, there is a wisdom and a purpose. And I repeat, Allah says, So what do you think we have created you in futility and in jest and that you won't be returned to us? In another verse, Surah Al-Mulk, Allah says, He who has created life and death so that he may test you, who of you is the best indeed? Life and death both have been created with the very purpose of testing us for our deeds. So we have a purpose. We are on a journey. We have a beginning. We have a goal. We have an objective. We have a destination. We are on a certain path. And when we consider the vastness of the universe and the great expanse of time, the 60, 70, 80, even 100, 120, 30 years of a person's life are but just a flash in comparison to the eternity of time. And Allah has given us these few years on earth for a reason, for a purpose. Why has Allah created us? One more verse, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ And Allah says, I have not created man and jinn except that they serve me. The word ibadah as a secondary meaning is to worship. But as a primary, original meaning, the word ibadah means to serve. That's why abd is a servant. And ibadah originally means service. So the true ibadah and worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not restricted to ritual prayer or fasting or hajj, pilgrimage and charity. Ibadah means a servant remains in the service of Allah throughout his life. For every moment. A person is not just engaged in the ibadah of Allah during prayer or pilgrimage or fasting and charity. Every inhalation, every exhalation, every moment, every thought, every emotion, every feeling, every movement of the body, every movement of the limbs, Every particle of his existence, every moment of his existence, is in the ibadah and the service of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is why Allah has created him. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ مَا أُرِيدُ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ رِزْقِ وَمَا أُرِيدُ أَنْ يُطْعِمُونَ إِنَّ اللَّهُ هُوَ الرَّزَّاقُ ذُو الْقُوَّةِ الْمَتِينَ I have not created man and jinn except that they worship me, serve me. I do not seek any sustenance from them. Nor do I seek that they feed me. Indeed, Allah, He is the one who is a sustainer, the one of strength, the Almighty, the firm. Why mention 
sustenance. And the fact that Allah does not want the creation to feed him and to sustain him, immediately after mentioning the purpose of their creation, that I have not created them except that they worship me and that they serve me. The reason is the ulama have said, although there are many other considerations for this, uh, f- for the interpretation, the exegesis of those words, but one of the considerations is as follows. Allah says, I have not created man and jinn except that they serve me. I don't seek any assistance from them or that they feed me. One consideration here in this verse is that Allah has created man so that man may serve Allah. But man lives and behaves as though he is only serving himself and he earns and pursues wealth and his sustenance in such a way that it seems as though he is actually earning in order to feed not only himself and not only the whole of creation, but even the creator himself. Allah says, I will sustain them. I don't seek that they sustain me. I will feed them. I don't expect them to feed me. So, as humans, we have a purpose. Our place in the universe has a wisdom and a purpose. We are on a journey. We are not just wandering through life aimlessly and haphazardly. There is a purpose and a wisdom and a plan. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed us on a particular journey. And that journey... And the Prophet ﷺ himself has described us as being on a journey. And he has described our place in the world. Imam Bukhari relates a hadith from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar who says that the Prophet ﷺ seized my shoulders and said to me, Kun fi dunya That's be in the world as though you are a stranger. Nay, a traveller. Now how does a stranger live? A stranger does not try to become too familiar with what his, his or her surroundings. A person realises that I am a stranger. I don't belong here. I do not belong here. I have no connection here. My place is elsewhere. But a stranger can remain in a place for a long time and still feel and behave and live like a stranger. So the Prophet ﷺ upgraded his message in a single word. He told Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum, Be in the dunya, be in the world as though you are a stranger, nay, as a traveller. A traveller doesn't even stay for long in that location. But a traveller knows that he or she is in transit. A person does not make one's surroundings at a bus stop or a taxi rank or an airport a place of luxury. A person tolerates hunger, heat, cold, thirst, discomfort, lack of food and lack of sleep, lack of drink, lack of comfort and lack of provisions. A person tolerates all of these at a station, in transit, on a journey, with the knowledge and with the conviction that I have a goal and a destination to reach and my rest and my recuperation and my leisure will be when I finally arrive at my destination, not in transit. 
and the Prophet ﷺ considered himself to be a traveller in the world. That's what he taught his companions. He took Abdullah ibn Umar by his shoulders and said to him, emphasizing the message with a personal touch, that, O oh, Abdullah, be in the world as though you are a stranger, nay, a traveller. And in the same hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi in his Sunan, Abdullah ibn Umar says that the Prophet said the same words but with one addition, O oh, Abdullah, well, not the words, O oh, Abdullah, but he was addressing Abdullah ibn Umar. He took hold of my shoulders and said to me, Be in the world as though you are a stranger, nay a traveller, and consider yourself one of the people of the graves. I think that you are already buried. Think that you are already in your grave. Consider yourself dead. Consider yourself one of the people of the graves. That's the reality of the world. And it's only when a person has that kind of understanding that they will realize their true purpose and their destiny. In fact, that's what Surah Al-Takathur says. Al-Hakum Al-Takathur Hatta Zurtum Al-Maqabir. Rivalry, one-upmanship, increasing, in- seeking an increase, simply out of rivalry. All of this has distracted you. And this will continue Hatta Zurtum Al-Maqabir until you visit the graves. Unless you come to your senses. So, before we even consider the tafsir of the surah, we have to realize and remember that we will only be able to appreciate the meaning of the surah if we remember the introduction that we are on earth for a purpose. The creation of the heavens and the earth have a purpose. The creation of man has a purpose and a wisdom. Our creation is not haphazard, random, aimless, purposeless. We have a reason, a wisdom, a purpose, a goal, a destiny, and an objective. And as part of that purpose and wisdom, we have come from somewhere, we are going somewhere else, and the world is merely a place of transit. We are simply passing through. That's all we're doing. And if we consider our beginnings, our origin, if we consider our destiny, if we consider the span of time before we came into the world, and if we consider the vastness and the great expanse of time after we leave the world, our lives, even if they stretch for 130 years, are but a moment and a flash in contrast to that expanse of time. And Allah has told us that consider this to be a time and a period and a place of transit. Be one on a journey. And someone who's on a journey, how do they live and behave? They live and behave the way Rasulullah taught the companions, the way he lived himself, and the way he expressed the purpose of his life. And only if a person lives their life accordingly, will they fulfill that purpose of their creation. Will they fulfill the purpose of their destiny? Will they ultimately reach their destination and goal? And in light of that, we will be able to understand the verses of Surah Al-Takathur better. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I was saying just before Salah, that in order to understand the Surah, we have to remember, remember our purpose of existence, which is the service of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And our life on earth is but a sojourn, a journey. And the Prophet 
called himself a traveller. He told the companions to think of themselves as travellers. Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhi relates a hadith in the Sunan from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu who says, one day I visited the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he was lying down on a woven mat And the mat, being a coarse woven mat, had left its imprints on the side of the Messenger So I said to him, O Messenger of Allah, if you would have allowed us, we would have prepared some bedding for you, or a bedding that would go between the mat and you which will protect you and prevent these, this discomfort and these imprints. Picture the scene. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu visits the house of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Prophet ﷺ is lying on a woven mat. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud sees the imprints of the mat on the body of the Messenger ﷺ. So he says to him, if you would have given permission, if you would have allowed us, we would have put a bedding, not a mattress, just a some cover, some bedding between the mat and you so that it would not it would prevent protect you from such discomfort and these imprints. Who is he saying this to? And what was his reply? This was a messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who by the time he left this world the whole of Arabia lay at his feet. He is the world's and history's most influential person, without exception, without any rival, without any peer. The reply of this messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, to that suggestion on the part of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was, he wasn't offering him great luxury. He said, we'll just put some bedding a roll between the coarse woven mat and you so that it will protect you from the discomfort and the imprint on your body. His reply was, Mali walid dunya. What connection do I have with the world? Ma ana wa dunya illa karakibin istadalla tahta shajara thumma raha wa tarakaha. What connection do I have with the dunya? My, my example. And the example of the dunya of the world is like a traveller who took rest in the shade beneath a tree. Then once he was rested, he rose and he left. Once Sayyidina Umar visited the Messenger And this was in the later years of life in Medina. And he actually said to him, Ya Rasulullah, do I have permission to look? So the Prophet 
indicated his approval. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu an cast his glance around the room. And the words of the hadith are such respect. Imagine sitting in front of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he sought permission to look around the room. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, once he gave his approval, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu an cast his glance and let his eyes roam around the room. And the words of the hadith are beautiful. His words are, and nothing, he never said, and I didn't see. He let his eyes roam around the room, and his words are, and nothing met the eye. Nothing met the eye, except a few utensils, and the bedding, and the pillow of the Messenger wasallam. He mentioned a few bare necessities. His, tear, his eyes welled up with tears. And in an emotional voice, he said to the Messenger O Messenger of Allah, you are who you are, the beloved Messenger of Allah. And here we have Caesar of Rome and Kisra of Persia, Khosra of Persia. They live in such luxury and comfort. And you, the beloved Messenger of Allah, is this how you have to live? Prophet ﷺ was reclining on the wall. He suddenly sat up. And he said, He said, Are you in any doubt, O Ibn al-Khattab? He said, Allah has prepared. Allah has given them whatever they wish in this world. And for us, Allah has reserved our reward for us in the hereafter. So that was a simple life of the Messenger ﷺ. And he lived in that manner because he considered himself a traveler. He clearly called himself a traveler. What connection do I have with the world? My example and the example of the world is that of a traveler who took shade beneath a tree and then when he rested, he rose and he left and abandoned the tree. وَتَرَكَهَانِ abandoned the tree in the shade. So he called himself a traveler. He told Abdullah ibn Umar, holding his shoulders, Oh, be in the world as though you are a stranger, nay, a traveler, and consider yourself one of the people of the graves. And when Abdullah ibn Umar would relate this hadith to his students, one of his students, Imam Mujahid, he says, when Abdullah ibn Umar would relate this hadith, he would say to me, Oh Abdullah, when you rise in the morning, don't wait for the evening. When you rise in the evening, don't wait for the morning. I don't have any hopes as far as the world is concerned. You don't know how long you'll live. You might be planning and preparing for two years, three years, five years, for retirement. And your death may be tomorrow morning. Your death may be this evening. That's why the Prophet ﷺ told him, وَعُدَّ نَفْسَكَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْقُبُورِ And consider yourself one of the people of the graves. Realize your true purpose in your existence. Realize the fragility of life and existence in the world. It could end at any moment. So keeping all of this in mind, 
we can hopefully better understand and appreciate the Qur'an's words when it says, Rivalry and greed in increasing your possessions and other things. Children, possessions, prestige, fame. Your mutual rivalry, your one-upmanship. This has distracted you. Now, you know, it takes a lot for us to explain. But the word, the Qur'an says it in four words, in a few words. أَلْهَاكُمُ التَّكَاثُرُ حَتَّى زُرْتُمُ الْمَقَابِرُ Takathur has distracted you until you will visit your graves. Simple. That's the reality of life. All this running around, all these pursuits, this wearing out oneself, this tiring oneself, this stress, what is it for? It's one-upmanship. Human nature is such that we are never satisfied. We're always trying to convince ourselves that, no, I'm doing this for the right reasons. I'm doing this sincerely. I'm doing this because this is a religious obligation to earn for oneself, to earn one's livelihood, to have a halal income, to provide for one's family. This is an obligation. We convince ourselves. But how much is enough? When is never enough? A millionaire is not happy until he is a multimillionaire. A multimillionaire is not happy until he becomes a billionaire. Billionaire is, a billionaire is not happy until he reaches the top of the list of billionaires. It never ends. And there's a beautiful hadith to describe this. Imam Bukhari relates a hadith from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Zubayr The student says that uh, we heard Abdullah ibn Zubayr on the member in Makkah al-Mukarramah announcing that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that if the son of Adam, man, had a valley full of gold, if the son of Adam, man, had a valley full of gold. The words of full are not just my translation, it's in the hadith. A valley full of gold. Now, in order to understand the hadith, think, think of the words, picture the words of the Messenger wasallam. visualize them. Gold is worth a lot. Gold is the one solid, stable currency. And for the past few years, ever since the credit crunch, gold has risen exponentially in value. Since everyone is relying on the safe investments of gold, you can't go wrong with gold. Even properties, the property market crashed because of the credit crunch. So the safe haven for most people is gold. And that's why the price of gold has risen exponentially. And we measure gold by ounces and grams. Grams of gold. Now imagine, move from one weight and measure to the next. We measure grams of gold. We're not talking about grams. We're not talking about one ring. We're not talking about jewellery. 
We're not talking about one ring or a necklace. We're not talking about a purse full of gold. We're not talking about gold sovereigns. We're not even talking about one gold bar. We're not talking about a tray of gold bars. We're not talking about a crate of trays of gold bars. We're not talking about one crate of gold bars. We're not talking about one pallet of crates. We're not talking about one vault somewhere in a reserve or in the bank or in a mountain. We're not talking about part of the mountain. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, beyond even this, imagine a whole valley between two mountains filled with gold. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, if man had that, what would he do? He would desire a second valley. And if he was given a second valley of gold, he would desire a third valley to add to his two valleys. Then the Prophet ﷺ says, وَلَا يَصُدُّ جَوْفَ بْنِ آدَمَ إِلَّا الدُّرَابُ وَيَتُوبُ اللَّهُ عَلَى مَنْ And nothing will fill the cavity and the vacuum in man except the dust of the earth. Man has this vacuum and this cavity that he wishes to fill with material possessions. And the possession of highest and greatest value is gold. But even one valley, even two valleys, even three valleys of gold won't be able to fill that cavity in man. The only thing that can fill that cavity in man is the soil of the earth when he is buried. That's why Allah says, Rivalry has distracted you, has debilitated you, has destroyed you, until, and this will continue, until you visit the graves. It never stops. So when a person convinces oneself that, look, we often make our other plans contingent to what we euphemistically, euphemistically call financial security. So it's like when I'm financially secure, when I'm stable, when I'm on my two feet, once I rise on my two feet, once I get a few things sorted, then I will pay attention to my akhirah, my children, my family, my other needs. When, when, when is that financial security to be realized? When do we actually achieve it? When is enough enough? When is enough enough? And the end of the surah is beautifully connected with the beginning. And I'll just mention one thing. The end of the surah is, Then surely on that day of reckoning, you will be questioned about blessings. Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates a hadith. <clears throat> that when this verse was revealed, Zubayr radiyallahu anh said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O Messenger of Allah, what blessings will we be questioned about? Innama huwa al-aswadan, al-tamru wal-ma' All that we have 
are the two black things, dates and water. So when this verse was revealed, Zubayr radiallahu anh said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah, what blessings will we be questioned about? All we have and all we can see is two black things, i.e. dates and water. So the Prophet ﷺ said, it will happen, i.e. the questioning, and you will be questioned about this also. I.e. for the Arabs living in the desert, those who survived on dates and water, the Prophet ﷺ said they will be questioned even about that blessing on the Day of Judgment. The lesson of the Hadith, and the lesson of the last verse of this surah is that you may think it's not enough but even the little that you have is sufficient, is a blessing in itself. In fact, in one hadith, again related by Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhi, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says on the day of reckoning, one of the first things man will be questioned about is that Allah will say to him, أَلَمْ نُصِحَّ لَكَ جِسْمَكَ مِنَ الْمَاءِ الْبَارِدِ Did we not give you a healthy body and cold water to drink? One of the first things a person will be questioned about on the Day of Judgment is that Allah will say to him, did we not give you a healthy body and cold water to drink? Of cold water to drink. So we will be questioned about dates, about water, a healthy body. The message is, the last verse gives is beautifully connected to the beginning. You think you haven't got enough and you always want more. You're always trying to get more. You think you haven't got enough. How much is enough? When is it going to be sufficient? The fact is, even just dates and water and a healthy body is a blessing in itself. How much more do you want? Now this isn't to suggest, as I mentioned at the beginning, that, oh, we just sit back and become reliant. No. I've told you, I've discussed this in great detail before, and I won't repeat myself, in the, in the tafsir of Surah Al-Humaza, I explained in great detail, and in other, on other occasions, that Islam teaches us, and encourages us, strongly motivates us, to earn our livelihood, to generate wealth, to create wealth, for ourselves, for our families, for society in general, for the community at large, for everyone. But, it teaches us to generate wealth responsibly, sincerely. And it teaches us to possess wealth in the right manner, not to be possessed by wealth. We don't possess wealth, we are possessed by wealth. Wealth possesses us, we don't actually possess wealth. And this is why in this very same tafsir, uh, surah, Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi relates a very beautiful hadith. From Abdullah ibn Shikhir radiyallahu an. He says that once I approached the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, whilst he was reciting Surah Al-Hakum al-Takathur, he was actually reciting this Surah, Al-Hakum al-Takathur. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, after reciting the Surah, said, Yaqul ibn Adam, Mali Mali. The son of Adam, man, says, Mali, Mali, my wealth, my wealth, my mal, my mal, my wealth, my wealth. Then the hadith continues. And 
And O oh, son of Adam, do you really have any wealth? Or do you really possess of your wealth anything except that which you have eaten, therefore you've consumed and caused to perish? Or that which you have worn and therefore worn out? Or that which you have given in charity and therefore sent ahead for yourself? And what's the meaning of this hadith? It's explained by another hadith related by Imam Muslim himself from Another companion, Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an, Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an, who relates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, يَقُولُ الْعَبْدُ مَالِي مَالِي The servant, uh, servant of Allah says, constantly, my wealth, my wealth. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, he has no wealth, or he does not have of his wealth, except three things. مَا أَكَلَ فَأَفْنَى أو لبس فأبلى أو أعطى فاقتنى Man has Man constantly says my wealth, my wealth But he does not have of his wealth except three things That which he has eaten Therefore he's consumed and caused to perish That which he has worn and therefore worn out Or that which he has given in charity فاقتنى and therefore earned a reward and secured for himself. The words faqtana are beautiful. What it means is, iqtana means, faqtana, iqtana, it refers to assets. It's quite simply, if you buy food and you eat food, that's consumables. So mal is consumable. Well, you... Iqtana is related to assets as opposed to consumables. Quite simple. So, consumables aren't normally treated as assets. Things of value that can be reserved and stored and used afterwards. They are regarded as consumables. Assets are assets. So the word iqtana relates to assets. So the Prophet ﷺ said, he has only that which he has eaten and therefore consumed and caused to perish, or worn and therefore worn out, or that which he has given in charity and therefore created an asset for himself. Not in this world, but in the hereafter. And apart from these three, Prophet ﷺ says in that same hadith, وَمَا سِوَى ذَلِكَ And whatever else is besides these three, فَهُوَ ذَاهِبٌ وَتَارِكُهُ لِلنَّاسِ Then this servant of Allah is about to go and leave it all for the people. So the combination of these two hadith, both related by Imam Muslim in his Sahih, from two different companions, gives us a perfect understanding of the reality of wealth. And these were the wise words of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He said, فُضِّلْتُ عَلَى الْأَنْبِيَاءِ بِسِتْ I have been given preference and superiority over other messengers of Allah in six things. And he mentions those six. One of those six things is, meaning greater than any other messenger of Allah. He was privileged with six things. And one of those six things was, I have been given the most concise, comprehensive words. Which means that all the prophets of Allah were wise. All the messengers of Allah were eloquent. Look at the beautiful words and words of wisdom and maxims that we know from the words of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. 
Jesus, son of Mary. The words of the Prophet Musa alayhi salam, Moses. The words, the wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom of Sayyidina Suleiman alayhi salam. The wisdom of his father, Dawood alayhi salam. All the prophets of Allah were wise. They were the most learned, the wisest, the most eloquent, the most sagacious, the most profound of all their people. And the Prophet ﷺ says, Of all of the messengers and the Prophets of Allah, I have been given superiority over them, even in my words of wisdom and eloquence. And indeed, his words of wisdom and eloquence are such that he said something very brief, but in those brief and few words, is contained a most profound message. And here also, these two hadith describing the reality of wealth are beautiful. Prophet ﷺ says, man constantly says, my wealth, my wealth, my wealth, my wealth. But he doesn't have any wealth. He has no wealth to his name except that which he has eaten and therefore consumed, which is, which means that you can only call something yours that you've possessed that's benefited you, that you've enjoyed, that's nourished you and sustained you, given you comfort, physical, actual comfort, not psychological. Why, why do I say that? Because a man sits back and takes a sigh and thinks that I've got a couple of thousand in my bank account. But that's momentary psychological relief. But it's momentary because the pleasure lasts for one second. And then he is beset and seized by grief as to who's out to get those few thousand. <laughs> then that pain is all-consuming. That worry is all-consuming. This is why some people who are extremely poor can see, sleep, sleep peacefully. Those who are far, far richer, they lose sleep. They're more worried about preserving and guarding their wealth. The tramp sleeps on the park bench, in the cold, dreaming all night long, very serenely, about becoming a millionaire. And the millionaire sleeps in his expensive bed, in a luxurious chamber, in a palatial mansion, having nightmares about becoming a tramp, (laughs) sleeping on the park bench. So... That's why I say something which has given you comfort, real, actual, physical, tangible comfort, not psychological. Otherwise, if it comes to psychological, the Prophet ﷺ explains this beautifully. لَيْسَ الْغِنَى عَنْ كَثْرَةِ الْعَرَضِ وَلَكِنَّ الْغِنَى غِنَى الْقَلْبِ Riches, richness or wealth, wealth is not the wealth of possessions and materials. Wealth is a wealth in the richness of the heart. Quite simply, you could have billions, but if you're not content and satisfied, you are poor. And you could be a pauper, but if you are content of heart, soul and mind, you are rich. That's why I say not psychological, not mental. Because mentally, a person can make what he or she wants of uh, of oneself. Be at peace with what you have. Be content and you will be happy. If you're always looking at everybody else, the neighbor's car, the neighbor's house, the neighbor's extension, the neighbor's conservatory, the rival's 
possessions. Everyone's looking at everybody else's car and therefore one-upmanship. It's a society of, it's a life of greed, of rivalry. But this never ends. Greed never ends. There will always be someone who's richer, better, wealthier, cleverer, more advanced than you and me. Always. One person can't drink the water of the entire ocean. And therefore a person should not be running around trying to amass all wealth for oneself. What good does it do? This is exactly what the Prophet ﷺ is saying. You have no wealth except, except that which you've worn, which you've eaten. So, if you've eaten a meal, that is your risk in your name. Nobody else's. It's yours. You've eaten it. That food has nourished you. It's given you energy. It's given you strength. It's given you pleasure. It's nourished you. Now it's gone. In the entire world, in the, of the entire people on the world, on, on earth, you alone possess that food that was yours. And how much can a millionaire eat? And how much can a pauper eat? They both eat the same amount. They can only eat the same amount. The millionaire has fish, and the pauper has fish. The only difference is, he eats probably from a palm leaf, and the millionaire eats in a silver plate. But the food is the same. If you've eaten it, it's nourished you, it's given you comforts, pleasure, energy and strength, that's yours. That is your wealth, the Prophet ﷺ says. Or what you have worn and worn out. Meaning not just once. So you shop for every season. Fill the wardrobe. At the end of the season, oh, that's so last year. Off to a charity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, Ya ayyuhalladheena amunu anfiqu min tayyibati ma kasabtum mimma akhrajna lakum min al-ard wa la tayammamu al-khabitha min tunfiquna wa lastum bi-akhidhi illa an tugmidu fee. O believers, give and spend of the best of what you have earned and of the best that we have extracted for you from the earth. And do not aim for the worst of your wealth in that you will spend it, but you would never take it if it was given to you without closing your eyes to the insult. And know that Allah is all independent, rich and full of praise. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we give the worst of our wealth to others and reserve the best for ourselves? Allah mentions in the next verse, Because the shaytan, the devil, threatens you with poverty. That's what we're scared of. Shaytan's insinuations and his whispers of poverty, the fright and the fear of poverty, drives us to relentlessly pursue the amassing and the accumulation of wealth in this manner. But we just keep on accumulating without actually benefiting from it. If you've eaten it, it's yours. Or you've worn it, then it's yours. But the Prophet ﷺ says you wear it and you've worn it out for a blade. You've made it old. So you wear a jacket for 10 years. You wear a cloth for many years. Some of us may think that, come on, is that what we are taught? No, I'm not suggesting that that's the... We should all... 
These Look, how a person chooses to live his or her life is their choice. I can only convey to you what the scriptures say. What was the example of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu? He was the Khalifatul Muslimin, the leader of the Muslims. The leader of the Muslims. Amirul Mu'mineen. His armies were crushing the Roman battalions. His armies were crushing the Sasanid Persian army. During his reign, the Muslim lands expanded so far. The riches of Arabia came into the coffers of Medina. The riches of Persia, the riches of Rome came to Medina. That's, and all of it was at his disposal. That same leader of the faithful, Umar ibn al-Khattab, who had under his feet the gold and the riches and the treasures of Persia and Rome. One day he came late to Jumu'ah Salah. When he entered late, he apologized. And he said, oh people, I have been delayed. Because I only, I didn't, I only have two, pe- I only have two pairs of clothes. And one of them wasn't washed and ready. So I had to wash it and wait for it to dry before I could wear it and come out. So Jumu'ah, this was a reason for the delay. The Amirul Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab, with two pairs of clothes. And the Sahaba radiallahu anhum eyed his clothes. And on his one cloak that he was wearing, his thobe, they counted 21 patches. That was Umar ibn al-Khattab. And he learned that from the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa this is why Jabir ibn Abdullah radiyallahu an prayed salah once and he placed a stool. It's a hadith of Bukhari. It was a stool, like a workman's stool. A tripod, similar to a tripod. And he had an upper clo- cloak, the upper cloth. So he took off the upper cloth and put it on the stool. And he wore, he only had the lower izar, the lower cloth. Similar to Doti Lungi in the Asian languages. And his whole upper torso, front, back, shoulders were all bare. And he performed salah. This was in his late years. So someone was watching. And in a rather judgmental way observed Jabir ibn Abdullah And then after salah, he said to someone else. And then he said to Jabir ibn Abdullah He said to someone, look at him. He's got a piece of cloth. But he's put it over the stool and he's praying salah half naked, meaning with the upper torso bare. Then after salah, he told Jabir radiallahu and he said to him that, you've got an upper cloth. Why aren't you using it? Why did you put it over the stool and performing salah in that manner with your upper torso bare? So Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu said, I deliberately put my upper cloth over here and removed it so that an ahmaq, an idiot like you, would come and say to me that why did you pray your salah without your upper clo- uh, cloak? I did that deliberately so that an ahmaq, an idiot like you, would come to me and say this. Then he said to those who were present, he said, And do you think we used to pray salah behind the Messenger wasallam in one cloth? And most of us did not have two pieces of cloth. So it wasn't out of choice, out of necessity. That was the congregation of the companions. This was a congregation behind Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Many of them had only one piece of cloth in which they would perform their salah. 
These were the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. These were the best after the Anbiya alayhim salatu wasalam. That was Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu anhum. This is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, of your wealth you only have that which you have worn and worn out. Worn and worn out. What you've eaten, what you've worn. What's given you nourishment, food, energy and strength. That's yours. What's clothed you and protected you from the elements. Protected you from the heat and cold. And what's covered you. And that, that you have used extensively so much so that you've worn the cloth out. That's yours. That's what you can call your possession and your wealth. But that's in the past. And the third thing, anything you have given in charity and thereby secured an asset for yourself and its reward in the hereafter, that's yours. That's in your name. Everything else, your house, your car, your other clothes, your whole wardrobe, your whole collection of shoes, your vehicles, your wealth, your jewellery, your bank balances... Your hundreds, your thousands, your hundreds of thousands, your millions, even your billions. The Prophet ﷺ says, he is about to go and leave all of that for other people. This is why the Prophet ﷺ says, it's not his. He keeps on saying, my wealth, my wealth. He has no wealth. We may have billions in the bank. Those, of, those billionaires who have billions, their billions are being saved for other people. This is why it's never ending. And this rivalry never ends. So Allah says, This rivalry in increasing has distracted you from your true purpose. And this is exact. And you know what? We will never realize. We, Allah is reminding us because it's our human weakness that we just don't realize. I mentioned earlier on that we use, our wealth is used to enhance our image. And not just practically. Because that's actually mentioned in a verse of the Qur'an. زُيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ حُبُّ الشَّهَوَاتِ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ وَالْبَنِينَ وَالْقَنَاطِيرِ الْمُقَنْطَرَةِ مِنَ الذَّهَبِ وَالْفِضَّةِ وَالْخَيْلِ الْمُسَوَّمَةِ وَالْأَنْعَامِ وَالْحَوْثِ ذَلِكَ مَتَاعُ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Allah says, the love of the desires of women, of sons, of hordes and piles of gold and silver heaped high, and of branded horses, and of cattle and tilth and fields, the love of the passion and the desire of these things have been made beautiful and ornamentated in the hearts of mankind. So it's our human weakness that we are inclined to these things. And I was talking about branded cars earlier. That's one of the meanings and the consideration of branded horses. So not just any four-legged horse, a good branded steed. So cars accordingly. We want branded cars, not just any old four-wheel car. Branded cars, which enhance our image. And mutual rivalry in all of these things will continue to distract you until you reach your graves. We don't realize it's our human weakness. Despite our intelligence, this basic concept eludes us, it escapes us. 
And we just don't realise until towards the end of our lives, if we do, or otherwise even until we die, we just won't realise. That's why in the verse of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Munafiqun, Allah says, O believers, do not let your wealth and your children distract you from the remembrance of Allah. And whoever is guilty of this, then indeed he has suffered the greatest clear loss. Then, Allah says, and spend of what we have given you, lest one death comes to one of you, and then he says, O oh my Lord, grant me some reprieve, grant me some respite, so that I may give in charity and become one of the pious. So it's only towards the end of life that we may realize we have our regrets. And Allah says this distraction will continue until you enter your graves. Then Allah says, Nay, soon you will come to know. Nay, soon you will come to know. Meaning, you may not realize now, you may not understand, but you will come to know. Allah says, Nay, if only you knew with the knowledge of certainty. Then Allah doesn't mention the answer to this. Nay, if only you knew with the knowledge of certainty. So there's no answer to the clause if here. So what is the answer? Allah is saying, nay, if only you knew with certainty. Quite simply, it's related to the verse, first verse. If you knew with certainty the reality of life and what you will come to know and see in the hereafter, then you would never allow this mutual rivalry to distract you. That's the meaning. And this is beautifully explained in another hadith. Prophet ﷺ said, by, this hadith is recorded by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, from many sahaba radiyallahu anhum. He said this not just on one occasion, on a number of occasions. His words are, وَاللَّهِ لَوْ تَعْلَمُونَ مَا أَعْلَمْ لَتَحِقْتُمْ قَلِيلًا وَلَبَكَيْتُمْ كَثِيرًا By Allah, if you knew what I know, you would laugh much less and weep much more. That's the meaning. If only you knew with the knowledge of certainty, i.e. you would not allow yourself to be distracted by mutual rivalry in material possessions and greed. Then Allah says, كَلَّا سَوْفَ تَعَلَمُونَ ثُمَّ كَلَّا سَوْفَ تَعَلَمُونَ كَلَّا لَوْ تَعَلَمُونَ عِلْمَ الْيَقِينَ لَتَرَوُنَّ الْجَحِيمُ Surely you will come to see the fire. This verse, surely you will come to see the fire, is not actually connected with if only you knew with the knowledge of certainty. No, it's separate, it's new now. Surely you will come to see the fire. Then you will surely see it with the eye of certainty. Not just knowledge, but with the eye of certainty. And you will experience it. This is the meaning of, surely you will come to know. So what it is, the the verses are related to each other, but not in order. So when Allah says, rivalry has distracted you until you will visit the graves. Nay, if only you knew, nay, if only you knew. Knew what? لَتَرَوُنَّ الْجَحِيمِ Surely you will come to see Jahannam. And you will come to see it with the eye of certainty. That's the meaning of, surely you will come to know. Surely you will come to know the reality of life, and you will come to know the reality of Jahannam, and you will see it. And when Allah says, 
in the other verse that if only you knew with the knowledge of certainty, if only you knew, so what would happen? Then rivalry would not distract you. So some of the later verses are connected to the first verse. And the first few verses are connected to the later verses. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ, once he stood up and he said to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, Ask me whatever you want to ask me by Allah. If only you knew what I knew, you would laugh much less and weep much more. Then he told the Sahaba radiallahu anhum that Jahannam has been displayed to me on the side of this wall this day. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, his vision was different. He saw, he knew, and that's why he lived the way he lived. Then Allah says, then surely you will be questioned about the blessings on that day, on the day of reckoning. I.e., again, like I said, this last verse is connected to the first verse. Do not think that you don't have enough and that you're always striving for more. When will enough be enough? When will it be sufficient? If you think you don't have enough now, well, even the little that you have, you'll be questioned about it on the day of reckoning. Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates that hadith which I mentioned earlier that the Prophet that, that when this verse was revealed Zubayr radiyallahu anh said Ya Rasulullah what will we be questioned about? Which blessings? We only have dates and water. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said it will happen and you will be questioned even about dates and water. Imam Muslim rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his sahih that once Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam came out of his house <coughs> and he met Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhuma and he said to them, what has brought you out? Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhumah said, hunger, O messenger of Allah. Hunger. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, by that Allah in whose hands rests my soul, that which has brought you out has brought me out also. Hunger. So Abu Bakr, Umar radiallahu anhumah and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam were walking. They went to visit one sahabi radiallahu anhu who wasn't expecting them. So when they arrived, he was close to the Messenger of Allah. His wife was there, the companion wasn't there. She welcomed them into the house, but there was nothing in the house. Then the Sahabi, the companion, the Ansari companion came. When he saw the Messenger of Allah and Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma, he exclaimed, This day by Allah, there is no one who is more honored by his guests than we are. We have the greatest and the most honoured guests in our house. We are the most honoured because of these guests. And he had nothing in the house. So he went and he went to a date party. He, he brought some dates. And not a, a huge pile. He went and bought one branch of dates. Which had some uh, ripened and unripened dates also. And he placed them before the Messenger of Allah. Then he went and he picked up his knife. And the Prophet ﷺ realized that he is going to slaughter one of his animals. So there wasn't any food, but the prized few animals or one or two animals that he may have had in, uh, at home, because in rural communities, remember, we, there are always one or two lambs or goats, which they use often for uh, milk. So uh, he was going to slaughter, and, uh, slaughter one of his prized small animals. That's why he picked up the knife and the Prophet ﷺ realized. So he warned him, he said, look, don't slaughter any animal which gives milk. Not the milking animal. They went, he slaughtered a sheep, brought it, 
and presented it before the family, before the companions and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam then ate along with his companions after they finished eating. Remember, they had been driven by hunger from their homes. The Messenger of Allah and Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhuma. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam after the meal said to them. Surely on that day you will be questioned about the blessings. So Umar said, Ya Rasulullah, will we be questioned about this? Because they were starving. Prophet said, Yes, of course, you will be questioned about this. For you were driven from your homes by hunger and you came out and you would not return to your homes except having been fed and filled. You'll be questioned about this also. We have a lot to be grateful for. And psychologically, this is one of the ways of being content. Be happy with what you have. Forget the past, or try to forget the past. And try to ignore the future. Live for the moment, uh, not in the bad way. What I mean is some people, well, some of us, we think that living for the moment is have not a care. Don't give a, have no care about the world. Let's just live for the moment. No, I mean it in a different way. Live for the moment in that do not let your past, do not let the past consume you. Do not let the future consume you. Appreciate your life and your existence now as it is when I say live for the moment, live by the moment, is look at yourself now. Don't grieve that you don't have a mansion, you don't have millions, you don't have wealth, that such and such a person and such and such a person is wealthier than you. Look at yourself now. Are you not in a state of security? Is your life under threat? Are you starving? Aren't you sitting in the warmth, in shelter? Haven't you been fed? Aren't you satiated and full? And if not, won't you be? If you can appreciate what you have now, that's exactly what the message is in those hadith on the Day of Judgment. One of the first things a person will be questioned about is that Allah will say to him, did we not give you a healthy body and of cold water to drink? You will be questioned about that also. If we try to live our existence moment by moment, and we look at ourselves as we are now, we will be far more content. And we won't be so driven to endlessly and relentlessly and incessantly pursue the accumulation and the gathering of wealth in this manner which distracts us from our true purpose, which distracts us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because it doesn't lead to anything. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand. May Allah make us amongst those who are not distracted by such rivalry and by the dunya there should be rivalry. There should be. Competition is good. Without that, competition is good. 
competition encourages one to perform better. To go the extra mile. Competition motivates. Competition creates innovation. And the Qur'an tells us to compete with one another. Bain what? The Qur'an condemns our competition and our rivalry and our vying with one another and our trying to outdo one another and surpass and supersede one another. And this one-upmanship. In what? In material things, in things to do with the world. But the Qur'an encourages us to compete with one another and to vie with one another in what? Allah says, فَاسْتَبِقُوا khayrat, Race towards good things. وَفِي ذَلِكَ فَلْيَتَنَافَسِ الْمُتَنَافِسُونَ And in this, should those who seek to compete, compete. Meaning, in Jannah. And the things that lead to Jannah. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu I won't mention any of the other companions. We've spoken about Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhu We've mentioned them a few times today. Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhu would forever compete with one another. Rather, Umar radiallahu anhu would try to compete with Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. In everything. In everything. Even in small things. Once Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhu were discussing the affairs of the ummah at night. In the masjid after Isha. Late at night. No one else was there. Then, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam rose to return home. Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhu were accompanying him to go to his house. They passed by someone in the dark who was reciting Qur'an. Prophet ﷺ stopped, listened to his recitation of the Qur'an, and then said to Abu Bakr and Umar anhumah, give this man the glad tidings that he recites the Qur'an as though it's being revealed now. So Abu Bakr and Umar, anhumah, he was in salah, so they didn't speak to him then. Both of them went to him. So who was it? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu so Umar anhu made a note that I will inform him in the morning. Next morning he went to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud anhu to give him the glad tidings, to be the first to give him this good news that the Prophet had commented on his recitation of the Qur'an and complimented him. And Umar anhu realized that Abu Bakr had beaten him to it. So Umar anhu said, By Allah, I will never be able to surpass him in anything. So even in small things, in major things, Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates a hadith that the Prophet sallallahu from Sayyidina Umar radiallahu that the Prophet sallallahu made an announcement one day for donations and charity. So Umar radiallahu made an intention, and these are his explicit words, that I said to myself, this day I will try to outdo Abu Bakr if on any day I can do so, then it will be this day. Then he said, I counted my wealth and I took half of it. I left half at home, took half of it to the Messenger of Allah. And I said, oh, Messenger of Allah, here yeah, I brought half of my wealth. We waited. Abu Bakr came. Prophet ﷺ said, oh Abu, Bakr. oh Abu Bakr, what have you brought? Abu Bakr said, Ya Rasulullah, I have brought all of my wealth. Prophet ﷺ said, what have you left for your family? Abu Bakr said, I have left Allah and His Messenger for my family. So the Qur'an encourages competition and rivalry and vying with one another, but only in good deeds. In good. Why don't we compete healthily in trying to gain and win the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? 
Why don't we compete? This is one of the reasons why it's acceptable for a person to announce their charity. In tubdu sadaqati fani'immahi, the Quran says, if you reveal charities, then how good a thing it is. How good a thing? Why is revealing one's charity a good thing? Not because of name and fame that I have given so much. That's not the reason why the Quran says it's good. The Quran says it's a good thing to reveal one's charity in that if someone stands up and says, I donate and and give 1,000 in charity, that this should be an encouragement and a motivation for someone else to stand up and say, I give 2,000. You're revealing your charity is not for your fame, but it's for the encouragement of others. So do compete, but compete in good, healthy competition. In giving rather than taking. In spending rather than accumulating. So competition is good, but only in good things. And the Sahaba radiallahu competed with one another in the most beautiful of things. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulin habiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Astaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Alkotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on double zero double four one two one double seven one three triple seven or by email via sales at akstore.com produced under license by Alcotha Productions all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author any unauthorized distribution broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright